you should have this, it looks like. Most of you have it, so that looks great. Um, I'll open us up in prayer, and then we'll begin. Lord, we love you, and we thank you um, for the opportunity to meet together, Lord, and to look into your word. I pray that you'll give um, everyone ears to hear uh, and be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, Lord, as, um, as we look into your word, Lord, as you teach all of us. I pray that we will remain faithful to your word, Lord, allowing it to guide our study, Lord, as we look into the Gospels and see how to study the Gospels. Lord, um, I just pray that this time will be fruitful, Lord, and it will be worshipful to you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, so tonight is the first night of um, the back end of our study. So, so far this entire semester, we've been talking um, about a lot of different things and how to study the Bible. So we've been working through hermeneutics, which is Bible study methods. Uh, and so tonight, we are finally getting into, all right, what, how could we apply some of these tools we've been learning into the text? Um, so if you have your Bible, it would be great to have it um, available. Uh, but next week, we'll be getting into the epistles, into the letters. But as you can see on your note sheet, we're sticking just in the Gospels tonight. Um, then obviously, we'll be going through different genres as weeks progress uh, throughout the Bible, looking at the New Testament first and then going into the Old Testament near the end of the semester. Um, so since we're going through the Gospels tonight, uh, the first part, what are the Gospels? If, you, if someone asked you that question, what are the Gospels, how would you respond? What are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So they're books of the Bible, right? The first books of the New Testament, it's Jesus' life. All right. Anything else? I mean, those aren't obviously correct answers. Does anyone have any other details that you would add to that? What are the Gospels? Well, as you can see here, uh, the term gospel, um, pulling it from the Greek word, uh, meaning, does anyone know um, the direct translation of what the word gospel simply means. It's a Sunday school answer. That good news, right? So it means good news. Um, it's the first four books of the New Testament, right? We said it's about Jesus' life. It means good news. So the first one in the blank is good news. Uh, good news about what? We already said about Jesus' life, right? Um, it's also good news about what Jesus proclaimed. Uh, so it's interesting, right? So if you go to, I mean, you don't have to turn there, but in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, so you see Mark chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 14 through 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So this is what Jesus is proclaiming and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, 
how would you all describe what the gospel is? What are some key details? We don't necessarily need to do a full presentation of the gospel at this moment, but what are some key details you would definitely include in the gospel message? We said it's the first four books, all right? Those are about Jesus' life, but what about Jesus' life that you would want to share that are key? Death and resurrection. All right, death and resurrection. I wanted us, someone to say that because looking at this passage here in Mark, this is before the death and resurrection. So what is being mentioned here, right? I agree with you, Michael. It's definitely about the death and resurrection, and we have to talk about that, right, when we're sharing the gospel of someone for salvation. Uh, but here, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. All right, so this is something that Jesus was saying before his death. His ministry, so that's all involved. Yeah. The fulfillment of all the prophecies that came before. The fulfillment of all the prophecies, right, of all those Old Testament prophecies um, pointing to the Messiah, right, that Jesus was going to uh, redeem his people. Um, so all of that is entailed, right? And the time is fulfilled, specifically what's referred to in this verse, uh, and the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So it's all about bringing in the kingdom of God, um, restoring his people into a right relationship with him. And we learn uh, throughout the life of Christ that that's done through his death and resurrection as well, right? Um, but that doesn't mean Christ wasn't proclaiming the gospel before then either. So the good news entails, uh, I see as two things, what Jesus proclaimed, right? And then also the good news about Jesus, and they should be all kind of one in the same, referring to the, um, the same thing. Um, and we see in First uh, Corinthians 51, how it refers to the gospel is refers is the good news about Jesus. Um, so that's what the term means, what gospel is. Who has heard of the synoptic gospels? So look at the next question. What are the synoptic gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it sounds like some of you all have heard of that at least. Um, what makes Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic Gospels? Obviously, then, the Gospel of John is excluded. What makes them? Don't they tell a lot of the same stories, you know, about um, accounts of Jesus' life? And, and they tell a lot of the and same It's told in, a, in order of the way things happened. Not necessarily, no. um, but it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, they don't necessarily go in chronological order, and we'll actually talk about that in a little bit tonight. Um, but the Gospel of John is just so different than the others, uh, so it's not included in the synoptic Gospels. Um, you could see, uh, if you break apart the word synoptic, syn, uh, sounds like synonym, right? So it's the same uh, optic, like with what you see, right? So it's like seeing the same account. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in the accounts that they uh, tell about Jesus' life. Um, even though they are actually in different order. Um, but a lot of the stories are the same, with some 
additions in one book, a little bit more details in one book versus another book. And so it's kind of fun to study a certain event in Jesus' life in relation with all of the Synoptic Gospels together. Um, and you could get a nice full picture with that. And then the Gospel of John um, is known as the Gospel of the Seven Signs, Seven Miracles. Um, and five of those miracles that John talks about aren't even mentioned at all in the Synoptic Gospels. So it's a lot of different information in the Gospel of John. Um, so, as I had said, they're not concerned about the events in chronological order. And I put a chart here that I found helpful um, in one of the books that's listed on the back here, Grasping God's Word. We've been talking about it for a while. Um, with different events, same events um, mentioned throughout these books. And you could see how they're scattered, and they're not necessarily in the same order. Uh, so you might think of a gospel as a biography of Jesus' life, in a way. But it's not like a modern biography, because modern biographies tend to tell someone's life, story of someone's life, in order, chronological order, or started when they're young, and how they grew up, right? But you could see here, um, the writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, aren't, as concerned of putting things in chronological order um, because they have uh, a specific thing that they want to teach, a theme or a topic that they want to teach, and they take parts of God's life, Christ's life, to teach those things. And then we will get into that in a little bit. Um, so if you care, I'll let you look through this at your own time, obviously, um, later as you take this home and just compare these different things and look at uh, different details that are added, other details that aren't added. Sometimes it's word for word the same in these different accounts. Sometimes it's just worded differently. Um, has anyone heard of the theory? This is just a, a theory that I don't think is that important um, of the Q document. I know I've talked to your husband about it, actually. Or was it you? I might have been you. Okay. Um, has anyone else? Yeah, of the Q document. Um, which is a theory that, since these Gospels are incredibly similar, synoptic Gospels, that there must have been this other account of Christ's life, life this Q document that we don't have, um, that these, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, looked at and borrowed from to write their own accounts. Um, I don't think it's very helpful necessarily, and I don't think we need to really spend time discussing that, but that is a discussion out there on the Synoptic Gospels. All right, so how should we read the Gospels? Right? This is about hermeneutics, uh, Bible study methods, how we interpret Scripture. So, for this specific genre, um, which is unique to Scripture, um, how uh, do we read the Gospels? So we'll be talking about this in two parts, in two ways. First is, you can see number one, how to read individual stories. Then if you turn the page, you can see how to read a series of stories. Um, so the Gospels are stories of Jesus' life. Right, so we're going to first look at 
we're going to uh, look at these two passages, one in Mark, one in Luke, um, and see how to read that individual story in isolation. And then we're going to broaden the context, looking at what's before and afterwards, and then how we're supposed to read those stories in relation to each other. All right. So let's start with the Mark passage. So you can see Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. So if everyone can turn there. All right. Could I have a volunteer to read this story for us? One through 20. I know it's a large section. But all right, Jim, you want to read it nice and loud? Jesus and his followers went to the other side of the lake to the area of the Gerasene people. When Jesus got out of the boat, instantly a man with an evil spirit came to him from the burial caves. The man lived in the caves, and no one could tie him up, not even with a chain. Many times people had used chains to tie the man's hands and feet, but he always broke them off. No one was strong enough to control him. Day and night he would wander around the burial caves and on the hills, screaming and cutting himself with stones. While Jesus was still far away, the man saw him, ran to him, and fell down before him. The man shouted in a loud voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I command you in God's name not to torture me. He said this because Jesus was saying to him, You evil spirit, come out of the man. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He answered, My name is Legion, because we are many spirits. He begged Jesus again and again not to send him, them out of that area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hill near there. The demons begged Jesus, Send us into the pigs. Let us go into them. So Jesus allowed them to do this. The evil spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of pigs, about 2,000 of them, rushed down the hill into the lake and were drowned. The herdsmen ran away and went to the town and to the countryside, telling everyone about this. So the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to have the many evil spirits sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were frightened. The people who saw this told the others what had happened to the man who had the demons living in him, and they told about the pigs. Then the people began to beg Jesus to leave their area. As Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who was freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus would not let him. He said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man left and began to tell the people in the ten towns about what Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. What translation is that? Uh, that is New Century. New version. Century, yeah. Okay, that is oh. unique. Uh, I'm not familiar with that translation as well. But I mean, not my normal version. That's Carol's favorite version. Oh. <laughs> Why do you have it on your phone then? I probably had to read something for you. <laughs> so, this is a, a story I think most of us are familiar with, um, and so I want us to look at this specific story first. Try to get an idea of what this story is about, and then, as I said, make the context wider and look at stories before and afterwards and see how we should interpret this story in relation to the story surrounding it. Um, based on how Mark wrote this gospel. <laughs> Hudson's making nice uh, noise over there. 
He does. He says preach <laughs> All right. So look at the question under this. What does this small story, so when I say a small story, I know it's 20 verses, but I'm referring to just this section, right? Um, this one story, tell us about Jesus. Or you could ask, what is the main point? Um, but I want us to focus really on the first kind, part, the first part of this question, um, because you can do that with the gospel since it is about Christ. Uh, so what does this story tell us about Christ? Let's start naming some things. He's got authority over the demons. He has authority over the demons. Yes. Um, you can write that down if you want. What else? Well, even the demons recognize his power. Even the demons recognize his power. Yes. Um, so, Christ is powerful. He has power. He has authority. Um, even demons recognize that. What happens to the man? He receives mercy and is saved. He receives mercy and he's saved from the demons, right? He's, he's healed. So, we could talk about um, Christ's power and authority, and that um, brings salvation uh, in this situation, salvation from the demons. Um, right? So you could write something like that, all these things down that I wrote down on my note sheet. Jesus casts out a legion of demons, restores a man to his right mind, and sends him out as a faithful follower. Um, right? So we're looking at, again, this small, uh, just one story at a time, and then you'll see how this then relates to the stories before and afterwards. But what does this uh, small story tell us about Jesus? Jesus casts out a legion of demons. He restores a man to his right mind, and he sends him out as a faithful follower. All right, now let's do the same thing with the Luke passage. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. So Luke chapter 10. This, this section obviously is a bit smaller. So if anyone wants to volunteer, just know you don't have to read nearly as much as Jim read. Um, who wants to read this section for us? Yeah. All right, Julie. Hold on one sec. I have to get there myself. Uh, verse 30. Is that the right reference? Because your column, your matrix says chapter 8, and this one says chapter 10. Uh, this one's right. Yep. This isn't relating to the... Uh, chart right above. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Uh, you want to read that for us? Okay. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Um, tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. All right, so we see a story of two sisters here, right? Um, what does this story tell us about Jesus? Let's do the same thing, answer, try to answer the same type of question. It might be a little bit harder because you might say, well, this story is more so about sisters uh, and their relationship or an interaction with Jesus. 
Uh, but Jesus does talk here. Um, hearing the gospel is more important than actions. So hearing the gospel is more important than actions. Yeah, I mean, that's really important, right? That's a, an important theme in this uh, section. Uh, does anyone else want to add more details? I would say it's easy to get bogged down in your day-to-day stuff that you got to do, your to-do list. It's easy you to get bogged down. You have to make time to spend time with Jesus. You have to make time to spend time with Jesus. And we see what's more important, right? It's more important. You see what Christ follows, or values, yeah. That's really good. Question: Are we answering what do we know about Jesus? Question. Um, I wrote them to try to ask the same thing. Um, I could see like Jesus, like just bland, like he was teaching. He has authority over settling disputes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's about Christ, right? Um, anything else? What I wrote down is what was that? He could see Martha was anxious. He could see Martha was anxious. And irritated. And irritated. <laughs> yes. He could read people's emotions. Um, what I wrote down is, here we discover right, the principle that doing good things for God can sometimes cause us to miss God himself. This is kind of like what you guys were saying. Uh, Martha's desire to put on a feast for Jesus causes her to miss the best thing, which is ultimately listening to Christ, listening to Jesus. Um, kind of an example. Well, you, I mean, she directly went to Jesus physically and asked for something, but she asked the wrong thing, and Jesus yeah, it's kind true. of pointed it out. Yeah. Could you tell your si- my sister to help me? Yeah. Damn, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it, I mean, that's kind, that's kind that's of That's basically what she was saying, you know. What, yeah. This isn't fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, in one sense, it's, I mean, it's a good thing, right, to come before the Lord directly. But then at the same time, that was a bold question. Can you do this? Like, in a way, I could imagine it being done in a commanding voice. Like, I'm doing all these things. Could you tell my sister to help, right? Um, it's funny how many times people come up to Jesus and yeah. they're like, can you tell this other person that I'm right, please? And Jesus is like, well, no, I can't. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> yes. All right, so we looked at these individual stories in isolation, right? So turn the page. I made some nice uh, charts here for you all. Um, so if you remember what you wrote down on the page just right before, um, so look uh, let's go back to the Mark passage. So I know we're flipping back and forth. So I want to do these two together. Uh, so Mark, uh, go back to uh, Jesus healing the man uh, with legion. Um, and what you wrote down on the page prior, I want you to write down in the square box right underneath Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Um, so what was that one section about? Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Right? Jesus casts out um, a legion of demons, restores a man to his right mind, and sends him out as a faithful follower. You can write something like that down in the box um, under Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Um, you could see the question above the 
the chart here says, what is the gospel writer, so we're looking at specifically Mark and Luke, trying to say to his reader, us, right, first to the ancient readers and then us today, by the way, he puts the smaller stories together. Uh, we see, as we saw earlier, right, that the writers didn't write them just simply in chronological order. There was a purpose in the way that they wrote them and the order they put them in. Um, and each gospel did it differently. As you could see on the chart right before, that was the purpose of seeing that um, chart on the first page. So what was their intent? What was the purpose of them putting them in different orders like this? Uh, well, let's look at this section right before. So Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Uh, someone wants to read that section for us. Verses 35 through 41 of chapter 4 in Mark. I can read that. All right, thank you, Elizabeth. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and there were waves. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? All right. Ask the same question, right? What is this uh, teaching us about Jesus? What could we write down in this box under Mark 4 about this specific story of the storm and him sleeping on the boat? He has authority over nature. Yes. He doesn't like being woken up from naps. <laughs> he doesn't like being woken up by, uh, from a nap. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. <laughs> That's true. Um, anything else? He was kind of disappointed that the disciples didn't get it yet. He was disappointed. Yeah. I wrote... Um, so he has power over the sea and responds um, with faith in difficult uh, circumstances. Right? So he, it, showing his power over, um, over nature and um, he asks where their faith is. Right? Why are you so afraid? Uh, have you still have no faith? So we see that we are to have faith in his power and what he's able to do and his authority over even nature. Um, all of those things you could write down. Um, all right, now let's look at the section right after the initial section we read. Um, so we're picking up in verse 21. You could see there's two boxes here. They're kind of mixed because there's kind of two stories going on at the same time that overlap. Um, you can see on the fourth box, it starts in verse 21. It goes through 24, then picks back up in verse 35 through the rest uh, through the rest of the chapter here. Um, and then there's a smaller story in between. Uh, but could I have another reader 
4, verses 21 through 24. Finish up that paragraph and then pick back up in verse 35 through 43. I know it's a lot of reading tonight. All right, thank you. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. All right. What does this tell us about Jesus? He has authority over death. Uh, you guys might start seeing a theme right here. Uh, so in this box, all the way to the right, you could write something like, Jesus raises the daughter um, back to life from the dead in the presence of uh, Peter, James, John, and the girl's parents. Uh, something like that. All right, and then the final section I want us to look at in Mark was... Well, was tucked right in between uh, the end of verse 24 through verse 34. So I want to read that last section in Mark for us. So Jesus went with them, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. For she said, if I can just touch his robes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my robes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd? pressing against you, and you say, who touched me? So he was looking around to see who had done this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. All right. What does this teach us about Jesus? What can we find this? box. It's authority over illness. Authority over illness. Right? We see faith is a key component as well in this story. Right? Something about faith yeah, and 
his authority and his power. Uh, I wrote down, Jesus heals the woman who is bleeding, uh, who because of her faith touched him, then uh, confessed him publicly. Um, right, and she was, she was restored there. I think that also speaks of his all-knowing. His all-knowing. Because she didn't have to say to him, Jesus, heal me. Mm-hmm. Just that touch, he knew. Yeah, yeah. And he asked, who touched me? But obviously he did, he knew, right? Um, so, now look at the box, right, that joins all these things together. And with this, we should ask ourselves the question that's right above this chart. What is the gospel writer, what is Mark, trying to say to his reader by the way he puts the smaller stories together? What do you guys think? Because remember, these aren't necessarily in chronological order. They may be. um, But that's not the point, right? Uh, The writers, the gospel writers put these stories together, true historical stories of Christ, to teach a truthful thing about, about God. Um, what would we want to write in this larger box? Why is he putting these smaller st- stories together in this way? What themes do we see? Demonstrating that Jesus has authority over everything. Demonstrating that Jesus has authority over everything, right? I made this as a first example because I think this is one of the easier sections to see how this works. Um, I wrote something like this. Through his mighty works, Jesus shows himself sovereign over the forces that are in a way opposed to God or hostile to God over demons, over disease, over death. Um, he, uh, so, yeah, over disease, over death, over demons, and strikes fear and hopeless, that strikes fear and hopelessness into the hearts of the people. So Mark's first uh, century readers were facing persecution and hostility, right? So we would see that with the historical context. Uh, so through these series of stories, he assures them that Jesus has power over everything they fear, right? Um, He has a story for this thing, for this thing, for this thing, and Christ has authority over it all. Uh, He can calm the sea, he can cast out demons, he can heal diseases, and he can raise the dead, right? They should trust him in the midst of desperate situations in life. Right, so that's we see how they all fit together. How are we supposed to interpret the Gospels? Um, we see how the Gospel writers write stories in order to uh, teach a larger, more significant truth when you look at them together in series like that. Right? I mean, it's important to look at the individual stories alone, but I mean, you see, I think, a little bit, a little bit more of a fuller picture when you. Uh, see them in relation to each other in this way. Um, All right, now let's go to our second example. So turn back over to Luke, and let's try to do the same thing. Uh, This one is a bit more difficult uh, to see the connections and and everything, uh, but I think we could still do it. So Luke chapter 10, and you can see it's only three boxes on top instead of four, so hopefully it won't. Yeah, it's bad. Um, So we already did the middle box, right, about Mary and Martha. So let's go to the section right before. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Uh, Who wants to read this 
section for us. All right, thank you, Rick. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Amen. What does this teach us about Jesus? I, I want to point out, uh, first, in this section, uh, we see uh, not just within one story about Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean it's just one genre, right? Here we do see two different genres happening. Here we see a parable and, I mean, a dialogue happening right before that as well. Uh, so sometimes genre can change within a certain text, even within one story or one section about Christ. Um, so, but what could we write in this box? He teaches about um, the who's your neighbor. Okay. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. All right. I think also, like he distinguishes between the good neighbor and the bad neighbor. Mm. And like the other one, he distinguishes between the good, the helpful sister and the worshipful sister. We're not at that point yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we still have to look at the section right after the Mary and Martha. It is about relationships, though. Right. I think she's right. Hold on, hold on. We you guys that. are getting ahead of yourselves. <laughs> but I'm glad you guys are thinking this way, right? Uh, so it's about uh, neighborly love, right? We see the principle that Love for one's neighbor should transcend uh, all human boundaries. Um, doesn't matter what race you are, what religion you are, what economic status, what nationality, right? Uh, kindness towards others uh, should um, be beyond those things. Uh, and religious standing doesn't necessarily translate to actual goodness. Yes, that's really good. Yeah, it doesn't matter what your position is, even within um, the church, right? It doesn't doesn't make you an automatically good person. Um, so yeah, these are really good principles uh, that we are learning uh, from this, um, which is interesting um, because uh, I'm sure 
some of you have heard of uh, the church father, St. Augustine. Right? He's one of the uh, main uh, church fathers who lived during the early church, during the patristic era, uh, that we always refer to as, in a way, a hero in the faith. Um, but you'll see on the other side, the next page on your note sheet, um, he interpreted this section horribly. Um, as in, he, tried, he did it allegorically, and he tried to find uh, meaning for every small part of this story. And we'll see that in a little bit. But if you want to get a sneak peek, you look back on the other side of your, the, the, on the next page. Um, all right, but let's go to uh, chapter 11 then. So chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. This is the last major section for us to read. 1 through 13, who wants to read it? I can read it. All right, thanks, Elizabeth. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Follow, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we, for, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impundence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Good. Um, so, again, whenever I read this part of the Lord's Prayer in Luke, I always read it, I always stumble over it because I always want to read the full version, right? And not just the words that are here. And this is an example of how there are parallel sections in the Synoptic Gospels, right? And some have more details than others, more lines, potentially. Uh, and we see that as an example here. Um, all right, so what, what about this box? Uh, what does this teach us about Christ? What could we write in this last box for us? I mean, there's a lot here, and I don't want to just make it come off as this is the way you should study uh, the Gospels always and just do broad um, descriptions over larger sections like this because 13 verses is still a lot. And it's good to dissect these verses more so. Um, but obviously for our purposes today, we want to see how the, the sections relate to each other. So we are doing more broad strokes, which isn't necessarily always appropriate, but it is sometimes. Um, but I think what, what would you write? One of the things that was 
brought out is being persistent and asking for things that are important. Okay. Asking for things. In what context is the asking being done in this section? In prayer. Right? So this section is about prayer. Uh, and then, what was that? He teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to pray, right? And he goes into a parable then about it. And then at the end, he says that we could ask for anything. Uh, so you could write something like this in the box. Jesus teaches us how to communicate with God through prayer, verses 1 through 4, right? This is followed by a parable on prayer, verses 5 through 8. Um, and we don't necessarily need to get into all the details of that parable uh, for our purposes tonight. And, and then there's an exhortation to pray. Then he commands them pray, right? At the end of that section that we read. All right, so with all these things together, right? Uh, what would we write in this bottom box? How do these things work together? How is Luke, what is Luke trying to say to his reader? But by the way, he puts these smaller stories together. Right, there's certain truths we can definitely learn from from each individual story, but I don't want us to miss either the overarching lesson that's being done here that Luke is teaching. The impression I get is just that God wants good things for us, and we tend to get in the way of that. Okay, explain that a little bit more. So, in in the Good Samaritan, we think of the priest and the Levite as good people. Okay. And so we tend to try to be like them. But that doesn't mean they're good people. In um, Mary and Martha, we were trying to be good. We were trying to do what we thought we wanted, what sh should be done. But we were getting in our own way okay. and missing the point. And then in teaching us how to pray, he's like, you shouldn't be afraid to ask for things. God wants to give you good things, just like you want to give your kids good things. You shouldn't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Yeah, that could be um, a good uh, way to drive down this. Um, what I was bringing out is related, and I think you guys said it, was about relationships, right? And um, how we are interacting with others, um, and then also ultimately before God in the last section. Um, so I said the common theme seems to be about relationships. In the first story, we are told that the followers of Jesus should be loving neighbors um, to people in need. In the second story, we are taught that listening to Jesus should take priority, right, over just doing things. Uh, and then finally, Luke emphasizes our relationship to God uh, in chapter 11 um, So, is more important. So followers of Jesus need to know how to relate to others, how to relate to the Lord, and how to relate to the Father through prayer. Um, so you kind of see the progression, right? Our relationship amongst each other, then our relationship... Um, to Christ and listening to him and then coming before him through prayer. Uh, so we see that there through relationships and how Luke wants to teach us something about relationships. Um, and we do need to be careful with doing this because I don't ever want us to um, try to just always look for themes in 
sections in the Gospels in a way where we try to force the themes also upon the passage, right? This is why we want to start with the individual stories first, try to properly exegete them. Remember, if you remember what that term means, like pull the meaning out of the text and do that beside each other and just see if there's common themes happening, right? And that's a cool way to study the Gospels. Um, So at the end, uh, on the last sheet, um, for not the, before the article that's also stapled to your um, book or little um, thing, uh, you get to see reflection for next week. I ask you, if you are to do that, if you regularly do those, is to do something like this with a different passage, with Matthew 24. So, and that's under reflection for next week section. All right, so we looked at the passage, right? We try to see what the author is saying, uh, how these stories relate to each other. And now, let's get to what Sam talked about last week, application. Uh, So you can see number three, applying the message of the Gospels. So let's go back to Mark. Um, So you could quickly review what you guys wrote down in Mark, right? Uh, casting out demons was the initial passage in verses 1 through 20. And we talked about his Christ's power over all these different areas. So now applying that to our lives today, what would we say, what, how would we, what would we come up as a good application for this section in Mark? In chapters 4 through 5, pretty much, what we were looking at. And we could trust God with the st- scary stuff, yes. Um, we could trust God in the midst of desperate situations, right, in life because he has authority, because he is powerful, right? We, these are the things we were seeing being brought out in those stories. Um, and when we say we could trust God, we could trust Jesus, that's talking about having faith, Right, having faith in God throughout these scary times in life because of who He is and who is He? He is powerful and He has authority over these things. All right, so that's a good application we can make um, from Mark four through five for our, for our, our purposes. All right, now for Luke. What would we do for Luke? So look back again to remind yourself. Uh, about relationships, um, the Good Samaritan, right? Mary and Martha, how to have a relationship with the Lord and through prayer. Probably just how to uh, interact with people in our daily lives, partially. How to interact with people in our daily lives? Is that what you said? It teaches us how to interact with people. Okay. What specific applications? So that's the theme, right? Um, but how do you apply that? We should interact with people, but how should we interact with people? I mean, I could ask that question. So, how could we pre- be precise in it with our application? The way Jesus modeled it. The way Jesus modeled it. Mm-hmm. It. I think with um, this section in Luke, uh, it is more difficult to do a broad sweeping application, and it might be more helpful to do 
applications on the individual stories. You guys think so? It's easier to do it with the first one, right, with Mark. So that sometimes, um, like I said, I don't want us to always think we should just make these broad applications and just make one broad application then. Um, but let's look at Mary and Martha specifically. What application could we pull off from Mary and Martha, that story? I think that makes it a bit easier. It's about relationships, right? So the broader theme. And put, putting other people's needs before your just your to-do list. No, that's not Mary and Martha. I don't think so. <laughs> no, because that's what Martha Jesus was first. doing. She was putting everybody's needs before. Yeah. They prioritize. Putting Christ first. Worship yeah. first. Yeah. A relationship with Christ should have priority over other activities. Yes, so that's what I meant. Yeah. They said it's better. <laughs> right? So Sorry. it's not necessarily others, but ultimately Christ first, right? Um, and not being busy with trying to always accommodate everyone else and make them feel comfortable and just being busy with the task, all the different tasks of life, even if they are good tasks, right? Um, so doing good things for God even if it is for God, even if it's not for others. So we could, get, we could apply this when we do ministry, right? Even doing good things for God can sometimes distract us of actually spending time with God. Um, I know this could happen uh, to me many times, but even when I'm preparing a lesson, like I feel like I have different tasks I need to do, right? And it could sometimes just get in the way of my own personal time with the Lord. Um, so doing good things for God can sometimes cause us to miss God. Uh, what was that? Don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. Exactly. It's true. Yes. Um, but with that, I think when we relate it to the surrounding stories, we can still broaden the application many times, Right. What is Luke trying to talk uh, to teach us about relationships? Um, it's more important for us to keep God first, right? Um, but at the same time, the Good Samaritan, we need to be loving our neighbors, right? That doesn't mean we can then completely neglect everyone around us, even though God has first priority, and we don't want to be caught just being super busy with trying to meet everyone else's needs, right? So it keeps a healthy balance to it. Right, but then we need to love our neighbors. Right? And how do we listen to God? We spend time with God in prayer, right? We listen to him through his word and then we talk back to him through prayer. Uh, so we see how this, these things relate to each other and keeps our applications even in right balance. Uh, so we don't just go way off on one end and say, Oh, I don't need to spend any time with anyone. Um, I don't need to be kind necessarily to anyone because I just care about spending time with the Lord. Right? And so that would be a wrong application. Just read the story right before, right? Relationships are important, right? Relationships with others, relationships with Jesus, relationships with God and prayer, relationships between the sisters, mm -hmm. even. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, so I encourage you sometime this week to do this exercise with Matthew 24 um, through Matthew 25, and you can see the reference there. Uh, we don't really have much time. So special uh, literary forms in the Gospels. Obviously, we're not going to go through all of this. Um, 
But you can look through this yourself, and I have references here for examples for those specific literary forms. We talked about these briefly when we talked about the literary context several weeks ago. Um, remember, we were talking about the literary context, and we looked specifically at the gospel genre, and uh, we uh, focused in on some of these. We looked at the parallelism, and we looked at those three types of parallels, and these are other examples here. Um, and parables, we talked about parables, and I thought this would be a good example of how to inappropriately uh, interpret parables and just use uh, allegory for them. Uh, and you could see how Augustine, uh, how he interpreted the, this specific parable, and you could see it was about Adam and ultimately the original fall of mankind is how is where he went with it. And when he did go that way, he completely missed the whole point of the parable. Right? Augustine completely misses uh, Jesus' point to love your neighbor. Right? Um, and so we don't want to do that, and we want to interpret these stories in relationship with the texts before, after, the broader context of it all. All right. That's it for Gospels. Next week, like I said, we'll be looking at the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, and how to interpret those um, with more exercises like this. So, are there any final questions? We're ending like, pretty much just on time. Time flew by. All right, I'll close in prayer if no one has any questions. And then I'll see you guys next week. Let's pray. Lord, again, we, we love uh, coming together, Lord, and studying your word together, Lord. We pray that you just will continue to work in our hearts and our minds, Lord, as we uh, strive to faithfully interpret your word, Lord, as we... Uh, strive to grow in our relationship with you, Lord, through it. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we can learn more about you in it. Lord, we thank you that we are able to see who you are, Lord, in it, and uh, know who we are conforming to, Lord, as we are uh, meant to be conformed into the image of your Son, Lord. We could see who your Son is in it and what he is like. Lord, we can know his attributes, his characteristics, Lord, and uh, know how we are to be conformed into him. Lord, and we thank you that we are able to have this relationship with Christ by the Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we may have a relationship with you, the Father, Lord. Um, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.